is a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man. This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area which we call the Twilight Zone. Hello and welcome to an episode of the Twilight Highlight Zone. My name is Ben Hansen and I'm joined by Jeff Cork. I'm here on this episode. <laughs> you of did it. The Twilight Zone podcast. You did it, dude. The Twilight Highlight Zone. It might sound a little bit different because we're recording in a slightly different space. It is a totally different space. Let's just say it. I think the Twilight Zone got to the last piece of recording equipment and brought it down in flames. Exactly. So now we're in a different room. Yeah, so. we had a thing about machines a while back, but we're doing better now. It was terrifying. The microphone chased me down the stairs <laughs> with its little microphone cable tail. All right. So we are in season five. Yes. And this is our second episode for season five. So it is. we're starting out mm-hmm. with a little episode <gasps> called The Living Doll. Yes. Now this one... Uh, you might recognize it as a uh, being also having ripped off, been ripped off in The Simpsons for the Krusty the Clown doll. It's one of those things where, like, when I started watching this, I'm like, oh, it's just that Simpsons episode. Of course, yeah, of course, that came from something. So, anyways, uh, there's a stepfather in a family, and uh, the little girl brings home a doll, and it's a big doll named Talking Tina. Talky Tina. Talky Tina. Talky Tina. Oh, old Talky Tina. Uh, and uh, so they bring her home. Open up the box, and he's not a big fan of this doll. Because, because they don't have any money. And it's expensive. And this little girl wanted this doll so bad that the mother bought it for her. It's a real mother. It's a very complex situation here. Uh, and so uh, the doll can talk. You, like, crank it up in the back, mm-hmm. and she says, or the little girl is trying to explain that the doll's alive right, right out of the gate. Like, oh, she's alive, Daddy. She's alive. Yeah. And um, winds her up in the arms. Do like yeah. if you're if you're impersonating a robot where you're like, hello, I am a robot. Right. That's what her arms do. Or if you were an actor portraying a robot in an upcoming episode, exactly. maybe it's that's what your arms thing. would do. Yep. Uh, yeah. And so he really doesn't care for this robot. Uh, he starts yelling at the mom, talking about how it's that Freudian Dr. Rubin's fault that she feels so rejected. And that's the reason she needs this doll. Uh, this guy ain't great. Uh, and it's so, Kelly Savalas, by the way. Oh, there we go. With hair. You might remember Kojak. No, nope. you, you know this I know. Th- I know the name only because Dan Rickard's dad one time made a joke about him in that yoga video. Okay, but Telly Savalas also advertised a uh, kind of an American Express knockoff, the Players Club, that was okay. on TV all the time when I was a kid. Anyway, so he's the doll, a terrible stepfather. So he's left alone with the doll. He holds it up, and uh, the doll starts out saying, "My name is Taki Tina, and I don't think I like you." She hasn't made up her mind yet. To be fair. Yeah, she's slowly getting to understand what this guy's all about. So the episode progresses, and it's kind of mirroring the you know twenty thousand feet structure, where like every time he's alone with the doll, mm-hmm. he's hearing it say bizarre things, and right. eventually get to the point where the doll just explains that he needs to die and that she is going to kill him. Yes. Uh, and then when other people are around, it just says, "Oh, my name is Takitina, and I love you," mm-hmm. as is normal. Right. Um, so episode progresses. He eventually takes it out into the garage. Well, let's go before that a yeah, little bit. Go. They're, they eat dinner. Yeah. And the girl leaves, Christy the girl. Right. Um, and, and the doll has, because the girl's been feeding the doll mashed potatoes. Rubbing it on its dumb face. So yeah. he like wipes it off her face and then like goes to light his cigarette and like holds the match out in front of yeah. her. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he says that uh, you, you feel pain. And she says something like, um, not really, but I can, but hurt, I can hurt you. 
it's really cool. Yeah. It's really cool. Also, I was, do you think that the daughter voiced the doll? Was that the same voice? Were they going some for some deeper no, connection with I don't that? Think so. It was a little bit different. No. But it's this tinny thing, and like you can hear the wind-up motor on the back every time yeah, the yeah, doll yeah. talks and whatnot. Uh, so, yeah, the episode progresses, and the wife just looks miserable and flabbergasted by her husband this entire time. He doesn't ease into it. He's immediately like going crazy about this doll. Yeah, and but you say going crazy, and it's interesting because they don't really pitch it as if he's going insane. Like he just assumes there's a walkie-talkie in the doll. Yeah, he's not, that's true. He's not frantic about it. Like he's very calm and collected. Like okay, you got the walkie-talkie in the doll, no big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even like when he's trying to destroy the doll, they could have overacted it so much, and he could have been going nuts and sweating profusely. But instead, he just brings the doll out to the garage, mm-hmm. puts her head in a vise, and then just leans over and whispers, "Die!" And then like starts yeah. tightening the vise. And nothing happens. And she says, like, I can take it oh, if you... Oh, it's a blowtorch. Well, he gets to that. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the doll says, I can take it if you can. And then he gets, like, a saw and yeah. tries to, like, saw off her neck. And there's just, like, sparks flying. But, of course, nothing's happening. Uh, this is a this is a bizarre episode. It is. And, like, a little bit earlier than that, he, he, like, puts the doll in the garbage can. Right. Right? And he's super smug about it, like, ha. And, you know, the, it's, it's just like Willy. The first rule of dolls and right. ventriloquist dummies in Twilight Zone is they can escape. Oh, so easily. So don't don't get so cocky about it. He's just walking around the house cackling. Yeah. Like he's just pulled a fast one on everyone because he put a doll in a garbage can. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. He, he, he gets a phone call then. Right. After he throws it away for the first time, which is really bizarre because you would think the call would have to come from somewhere else then. So did this doll escape the garbage can run to a neighbor's house just to mm-hmm. use the phone so she could have that moment where she says, I'm Ducky Tina and I'm going to kill you. Yeah. I guess so. I don't know. <laughs> it's not important. <laughs> it's not important. All right. So episode goes on. Uh, he like ties the doll up then in the garbage can again and then like puts like bricks on the top and whatnot. And then isn't that what happens? No. Uh, before then, he can't find the doll. Right. Because he gets a phone call and he's like, where's the doll? Where did you put her? And he's like convinced that the mom is in cahoots like with the doll. Right. And is hiding it. And then he runs upstairs and then finds that um, the daughter is sleeping with Talking Tina. That's right. And he says – he wakes her up and says um, – she says, daddy, daddy. And he says, I'm not your daddy. <laughs> Yeah, most stepfathers try and be pretty graceful with that aspect yeah. of the relationship with their stepdaughters, not just scream, I'm not your daddy at exactly. them repeatedly, just because he really hates this doll. And this is when he, yeah, then he just goes down and just goes full like Rasputin mode, like just the doll survives the head vice, the blowtorch, and he puts it in a sack. Right. <laughs> he puts right. that in the trash can and then put bricks on that. <laughs> and he goes upstairs and then the, the the wife is just like packing her suitcase. Yeah. She's like, that's it. Yeah. Uh, and then he tries to, I don't know, make friends with the doll mm-hmm. where he comes around and he realizes like, okay, look, I'm just going to give you back yep. to the little girl. There's not going to be any problems here because he realizes that this thing is <laughs> immortal and indestructible. Uh, and then the doll says something about like, my name is Taki Tina and I won't forgive you or some nonsense yeah, like that. Yeah, she doesn't forgive her. <laughs> something like that. Uh, so then he wakes up in the middle of the night. And, and he and his wife have Ernie and Bert beds. Yeah. Which are separated by a nightstand. <laughs> So he wakes up in the middle of the night, uh, hearing like the wind up from the doll. Yes. Uh, and then he gets up and walks around the house, and you can hear it around. Mm. It's not like it's getting closer. It's just kind of this ambient noise. Really well shot. A lot of cool, yeah. like shadows all over the place. Oh yeah, yeah. So he's wandering around the house. Uh, he can't find the doll, 
So he starts to go downstairs, and the doll is, of course, on the stairs, just sitting in the middle. He steps on it, slips. Spectacular stunt work, because the doll flies through the air as he's falling down. It flies past him, and then he lands at the bottom of the stairs, and then the doll comes back down the stairs in a weird shot. uh, And then he dies at the base of the stairs. Yeah. Uh, And then the mom, this is the part (laughs) that I really don't like. The mom runs down there. Yeah. And she's like, oh my God, Takitina, what's happening? Uh, And then the doll says to the mom, I'm Takitina and you better be nice to me. What does this doll want? That's the weird part. The mom has been nothing but nice. She is the most pleasant lady and like it shifts it from a story being about like, you know, kind of abusive dicky stepfather, mm-hmm. uh, which has been playing up to some extent. And now it's just like, I guess it is just about a killer doll who will threaten people. This is just pure evil. I guess so. But then Serling, in his big uh, recap, uh, he describes it like, oh, well, the doll is the spirit of the child in this turbulent relationship, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, because that, that kid had built up with a lot because it, like at one point um, the mom is talking to the stepfather and is like, this would be a good playmate for Christy. And it's like, bah, because she can't have a brother or a sister. Right, right. Some weird infertility issues or something's happening in that household. Yeah. What's happening in that household? I don't know. Why, why do you look at me like that? <laughs> like, Sorry. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So it was cool. A little twist at the end, but uh, I liked how aggressive the doll was. Yeah. I liked that it wasn't like... You know, just being like, oh, something might happen. You better be careful. The stall just right out of the gate is like, I am going to kill you. Hey, you know what? Did you know that this is another episode that's referenced in the Twilight Zone pinball machine? Oh, what do they do? You get an extra ball. She gives it to you. She says, I'm talking to you and I'm going to give you an extra ball. Something to that effect. Okay. And then drops the ball. <laughs> it's, she's a lot nicer in that. She doesn't say like, <laughs> you, you better be nice to me or else I'll kill your flippers or something. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, so uh, I think you like this episode a lot, but I gave mm-hmm. it an eight. I gave it a seven. I like. Oh, it a lot. really? I thought yeah. you're gonna go like a nine or a ten on this one. No, I think this is honestly one of those episodes that w- I think would have benefited for if it had like an extra half hour. Okay, so you're missing like season four a lot. A, I would like to have. I can't stop thinking about it. I'd like to have seen more of a buildup because they had to accelerate the stepfather as just being worthy of this kind of vengeance. You know. Yeah, and they don't they don't really do it outside of that one scene where he screams, "I'm not your daddy." Like he's a little bit of a dick because he starts off reasonably because it's like yeah. he's talking about how they don't have money to spare, and then there's right. this extravagant purchase. Right. I'm like, right. okay, I'm on your side, and then instantly he shifts gears. He's just like, I hate you know, I'm not your daddy, and all this other stuff. It would have been nice yeah. to have that kind of ease in, in into that a little bit. But. Yeah, and in the beginning, he even like pitches it like, "Oh, is this because I'm not a good dad? Is that what you think that I'm not a good dad?" Because he's self aware. Right. No monster can be self aware. Yeah. I just love that when he was so smug, he's like cracking walnuts and just because <laughs> he's just outwitting a doll. Yeah. No, I'm with you. Though. I wanted to see like when he locked it up in the garage, I was like, well, it'd be cool if he drove it somewhere and mm-hmm. buried it. Like it's got to be if he tried to get away, if it just became like Terminator. Yeah. He's just traveling across the country, start trying to stay away from this doll that cannot be destroyed. <laughs> and was, of course, he started thinking like, well, how would you destroy that doll? If you can't cut its head off, you mm-hmm. can't burn it, you right. can't really lock it away is there anything you can do shoot Hmm. it up into space uh the bottom of the ocean is always the answer yeah that's how they killed megatron don't wind it up oh yeah (laughs) yeah either or either drive out to (laughs) the sea stop winding it up every time you do it it tells you something awful you don't Uh, want to hear that well maybe he really wanted to destroy himself in the end and so he was winding it up because they even hit that it's like you know manifestation of his frustration with the family and all that stuff 
So maybe that's, that's the deeper meaning that we've been looking for. There you go. All right. What's going on in this cave? This next episode is called The Old Man in the Cave. Uh-huh. And it starts off with a shot of a horse pulling a car. We are in the a post-apocalyptic setting, which immediately for Twilight Zone, I'm very excited about that. It's good. It, it's a good joke shot because it starts with the car moving, obviously. Right. And then pulls out and realizes, oh, there's a horse pulling it. Exactly. So there's a bunch of people there and they're waiting for to figure out what to do with this pre-bomb food. <laughs> and this guy who looks like Bing Crosby is seen walking away from this weird cave with a door on it. Mr. Goldsmith. Looking at a slip of paper. Mr. Goldsmith. Exactly. And he's looking at a piece of paper and he walks away. Anyway, he goes back to the crowd and they're just kind of griping about, you know, how crappy everything is now. Mm. Like the food that they've planted before, you know, the the old man in the cave they refer to mm-hmm. uh, has told them, hey, don't don't try to plant this. You know, it's not in season or whatever. And they did it anyway. And then these just awful foul plants. And uh, uh, the tomatoes look like rotten watermelons, they explained. Exactly. And the way they tasted. Uh, <laughs> So we learn it was 10 years after the bomb. Right. So that's where we are now. So the guy comes back, Goldsmith, and he has a weather report. And it says, hey, rain and radiation is on the forecast. So we're supposed to turn over the rain barrels. And P.S., this canned food is contaminated. So we can't eat that. And everyone's super bummed out because they were really excited about all this canned food. Uh Then we learn it's 1974. Oh, my God. Yeah. So anyway... (laughs) We see people are moving all the boxes into a truck, and then a jeep comes, and a bunch of soldiers come out, and cool looking sunglasses, super cool looking oh, sunglasses. Oh yeah, these guys mean business. They're kind of like uh, like late '80s Oakleys. Yes, only more rounded. If you can imagine <laughs> that. Uh, armed soldiers, they come out, and then they say, "Like, who's in charge?" And they go, "Hey, the goldsmiths in charge," you know, and. You might recommend rec- you might recommend the uh, <laughs> the, the head soldier guy. It's uh, James Coburn, who's kind of a character actor who's been in a lot of stuff. Anyway, sounds familiar. Also, we should point out Mr. Goldsmith is uh, you know the captain from Odyssey of Flight Thirty Three, mm-hmm. and he's Mr. Dedrick and uh, Cliffordville. He's he's been in Twilight he's been Zone a bunch a of episodes. Yeah. yeah. So these military guys are wearing they're dressed like soldiers, but we don't really get a sense. They're they're saying they're there to take inventory and Goldsmith says, eh, we don't recognize your authority. Right. You're a bunch of Yahoos. We've met people like you before. That's the part I liked when he mentions that like, hey, just because you say you're with the government, you're trying to like yeah. reassemble order, like we've been through this before. It's been ten years. People have yep. tried to pull that gag. Yeah, and, and they only suck. represent themselves. Right. That he says. So um Soldier just decides, I'm going to punch you. So he punches Goldsmith. So wait, stop. Does that mean, do you think, that they definitely aren't with the government? They never really get back to that point. No, I think they're the way that they behave, I think they're just kind of power-grubbing goons. And they want to eat their food or just be the leader of this small group of people. Yeah, exactly. And then we learn, though... That there's only 500 people alive between Buffalo and Georgia. That's right. And he says, the soldier guy says, well, that's because there's no discipline. Um, yeah, that's his, that's his miracle. He doesn't believe in the old man in the cave. Mm-hmm. He just wants discipline and he can take it, advantage of these 15 strangers yeah. living in this wild western looking town. Yeah. Yeah. And he says, hey, Goldsmith, you give any trouble, uh, we'll hang you. <laughs> and they look at all the food and... The townspeople are saying, hey, don't eat this. The old man says so. And then the soldier goes off on this rant saying, you know what? I've been around, obviously, between Buffalo and Georgia. (laughs) And I've come across all these crazy cults. And you guys are just like anyone else who believes in something silly like this. Right. 
let's go meet this old man in the cave. And it right. becomes clear that none of the people, aside from Goldsmith, have actually met the old man in the cave. Yeah. Because uh, he says that they go to the cave, you know, they obviously run into the door, and then it's revealed Goldsmith has never been inside. He just gets notes from the old man in the cave. Yeah. So soldiers are like, all right, I know the universal knock. So they grab a grenade and they say, look out. Sit down one tiny grenade in front of the door. Yeah. <laughs> there's a big blast. And lo and behold, this door that survived uh, the bomb is just rock solid. So doesn't work. The door's still there. And the soldiers are like, Yahoo, let's go eat this food. <laughs> so they go back and they start eating the food. It's pretty amazing, by the way, that Goldsmith has kept them away from that food for yeah, 10 years. Exactly. I don't Everyone, know how you can do that because they're all starving and there's like, a crap load of booze and stuff in there. And oh, yeah. And then, like, Goldsmith at this point is like, hey, there's enough Strontium 90 to kill us all. And uh, the the soldier guy takes a bite of what looks like a potato from a can and then, yeah. like, clutches his gut and falls down on the ground in agony, dying. No, he isn't. He's just an asshole. It's That's the- basically all that is. He's just <laughs> faked it. So everyone's eating the food. A guy comes out of the door, and he's got a – the door's marked contaminated, and he, he – um, Shoots a gun in the air and says, hey, we just look at this. We've just repealed prohibition and just starts tossing out bottles. People catch them very well. They do I a good job. I was impressed. No one dropped them. <laughs> and they just start drinking all this stuff. And uh, they're just sitting there. And it, one the, the soldier guy brags to uh, another villager about, hey, I'm a learned man. I went to college, you know, because he b- makes some literary reference. Well, he, yeah, he makes a reference to like, he's like, oh, my name's Jason. He's like, oh, Jason and the Golden Fleece. Huh? Yeah. Like, oh, boy, I went to college. Yeah, and Goldsmith says, what did you learn? <laughs> and then he says, you came as intruders, but now you're murderers. So he calls people to the street. And uh, is this when they all agree to go up to the cave? Yeah, because everyone, he go, he, it's dark and the soldier calls people to the street and everyone is instantly there. It's like uh-huh. they were just like lying down in the street waiting to be called. Sure. And he's like, all right, here's the deal. We're going to go to the cave. We're going to meet this old man. Now uh-huh. that we've had food <laughs> and Goldsmith's like, well, you're going to have to kill me first. But he's like. We'll do it. And he opens the hatch and then he, he says, uh, Jason says, we've survived for 10 years, but we haven't lived. So anyway, J- Goldsmith opens the secret panel, the door opens, and you, you'll never believe what's well, who the old man is. Well, you saw the episode. Who was yeah, it? I have a really good idea. To be fair, yeah, I, when it started out, mm-hmm. I thought of all the possibilities. Uh-huh. I thought, you know, time traveler, mm-hmm. alien deity type thing, mm-hmm. could be a computer. Mm-hmm. And then I immediately forgot about it. And when it built up to the end again... Uh, I really didn't know who, what they were going to find in that cave. And we should point out, when they walk into the cave, it is the same cave as on Thursday we leave from ho- for home. Really? Yeah, yeah, the inside, oh, okay. the whole interior spot. Uh, except in that spot, instead of little boy Jimmy, whatever his name is, now it's a... JoJo. JoJo. Now it's a computer. It is the most computery computer you can think of from the I, 60s. It's I, a big panel yeah. of flashing lights and stuff. I don't know where it, it's getting its energy from. It's just kind of sitting in the middle of this cave it's having a good time. So Who they, set it up there? Do you think Goldsmith set it up? Was he like a computer programmer? I don't know. How do you? How does a computer tell you which food to eat and which food yeah, not to eat? Little printouts. Little printouts saying these tomatoes will end up like <laughs> rotten watermelons. <laughs> you didn't listen. <laughs> yeah. I would like to know more about this computer. Well, unfortunately, you're not going to be able to because they do the next the logical thing. They just start throwing rocks at it, and then. I, I, I don't understand. Why is this computer stopping them from eating? Like, you can just ignore its advice. Yeah, they just go, 
well, what the fuck? It's a, it's a computer. And then, <laughs> and then, or what is this thing? Cause like yeah. how many of them honestly know what a computer is, but whatever they're, they, they throw rocks at it and then they run over and tip it over. And then the soldier guy is like, yeah, now we're free. Yeah. The next shot, it pans over and everyone is dead. <laughs> <laughs> Just, there is not a single person in his life except for Goldsmith. Of and course. He is super bummed. He tried to warn him. And then he goes on a, on a big speech about, oh, I forgot that faithlessness is the major reason men die. And, mm-hmm. and, and then he waxes poetic for a while about the destiny of man and how greed will always bring him down. Yeah. We should point out, you'd probably never guess it, this episode was written by Rod Serling. Oh my God, you're kidding me. <laughs> yeah, it's it actually has a lot of shades, I think, of On Thursday We Leave for Home, where it's like quite- the two competing leaders mm-hmm. fighting for the control of this group and one is very loyal and one's a little more rebellious. Would you um, rather had a computer or a robot? You mean just area? for the sake of entertainment? What do you think would have been more powerful? A, like a, I think computer. Okay. Yeah. I think that's one of those twists where it's like, oh, it's a computer the whole time. It doesn't seem that crazy to us. Yeah. I'm sure back in the day, it was a little stranger yeah. to have like, oh, a computer telling you what to do in your life? What and, the? And I'm surprised that they had restraint to not have the computer talk. Like, <laughs> don't what, put what that axe doing? down. These rocks are breaking fuses. <laughs> uh, overall, this is an enjoyable episode. Yeah. I uh, end up giving it a seven. I, Let's do a little flip-flop. I give this one an eight. Wow. All right. I like there this we go. one a lot. Cool. Is there anything else you wanted to point out that you liked about it? Um, I just wonder, like, do you think, that guy, what did a guy do when he was in there? Like, it was very well, like, did he sweep it? Because the floor was very clean. Well, yeah, I guess he would. He probably dusted it off. So Didn't anyone ever ask, hey, can I go see this old man? Like, why would... Right, right. Everyone was just cool with the fact that oh, I got to do this by myself. Yeah, trust me, you don't want to see it. It's a goldsmith thing. I mean, they're going for the the metaphor of of God in their I lives. They're this whole episode. No, don't you see, Cork? <laughs> the old man in the cave was a symbol. Oh, yeah, so he's yeah, the yeah. Pope. Don't worry. If you're looking for a much more heavy-handed religious episode, yes. it might be coming up later. Really? Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Okay, I will. All right. Meanwhile, this episode is not heavy-handed. <laughs> no, this episode is called Uncle Simon. Mm-hmm. Uh, it starts out with a really cool reveal, and this is getting nerdy, but I really like this. So it's this lady, uh, I don't know, in her early 40s or something, and she's working in this house, and then like a door starts to open up behind her, and just when the door is opening to the point that you should be able to see somebody, the camera does this like crazy whip zoom in down on the guy's feet, and then slowly tilts up. So I was expecting something crazy or like an actor I recognize. I don't right. know if he's, this guy is a famous actor. I assume he is. Um, and then it just pans up to his face. And it's just a really bizarre, cool reveal. And like over that entire intro, there's just a ton of crazy zooms all mm-hmm. over the place. Uh, so it is revealed that this lady is the niece of this elderly man who is very cranky and very rich and wandering around his house every once in a while referencing his inventions down in the basement that she's not allowed to look at right um this is uncle simon it is uncle simon himself uh and so he constantly insults this lady with the weirdest kind of he's is that what he's doing like you could tell like he calls her like a passionless vegetable yeah he says you're the only woman i know that looks like she wears clothes under her clothes yeah all right (laughs) uncle simon that's cool This is the thing. So throughout the course of the episode, he just keeps insulting her and she's trying to serve him and he keeps demanding hot chocolate. Mm -hmm. That's his big thing is Uncle Simon loves his hot chocolate. It better be hot. The tone of this episode could have gone so many ways, especially by the end. But like 
in the beginning, I just, he's funny. He's not saying really incredibly mean things. He's just like, he's a likable character, I think. It's the weird thing because you can't tell from their banter at first if this is like a playful relationship or if like Uncle Simon is just like a stone cold dick. Yes, absolutely. It's like, I think they're having a good time, but then it's slowly revealed that she is miserable. Yeah, this is not banter. Yeah, she's been serving him for 25 years, humiliated, she says. Um, and yeah, then, he asks, like, why do you stay here? And she says, I live for the moment I see you buried. Yeah. Like, oh, okay, that's probably when I realized maybe this isn't such a playful <laughs> thing going on here. And then uh, at some point he calls her a night-crawling imitation of the female gender. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> but again, it's just absurd. Like, if I was living with, like, crazy old uncle and he kept coming up with these creative ways to insult me, I don't think I'd really have a problem with it. But if he asks for hot chocolate more than three times, that guy's got to die. Yeah, absolutely. There's no way around it. Um, So he is in the basement with her and because he won't let her see his secret experiments, right? He walks with a cane. He walks with a cane, which is important, I guess. And so uh, he he is trying to go up the stairs. Mm -hmm. He's trying to attack her. I'm trying to remember. There's just this confrontation on the stairs. Yeah, and so she like grabs the cane out of his hands and then he falls and dies, of course. And as mm-hmm. he's dying, he's saying her name like Barbara. Oh, Barbara. Blah. Exactly. And so then that's the big stinger before the commercial break in Twilight Zone, right? So then it comes back and uh, she's with the lawyer. Well, a little bit before that, though, she is so oh, excited. She runs around like a crazy oh, person. Oh, yeah, just yeah. That's how it stuff. is. She's like throwing plates around and opening the drapes and saying, hey, world, I'm back. I'm really back. So she's excited because she'll finally be able to leave this house and she gets this guy's crazy inheritance. Yes. But if you're trying to, like, this old man's dead. You're trying to pass it off like a crime scene or like (laughs) just look like this guy died of natural causes, I should say. Don't go around then and destroy every room so it looks like this crazy scuffle happened. Oh, yeah, I totally did that. I was just really happy. Well, once he died, I was in such a fit as I had to flip over every table in the house. Like you, you, you got away with it. Weird. She got away with a super good crime. Just yeah. let it ride. So, anyways, she's happy to finally be free. Uh, so then she's talking to a lawyer mm-hmm. after the break, um, and he's explaining that she will get the inheritance. Yes, uh, but she has to stay in the house, and she has to take care of the house, and also take care of. Well, what is this? A special note on the bottom? Oh, you have to take care of all of Uncle Simon's experiments in the basement. Mm-hmm. And she's like, uh, okay. And if she doesn't, then the money will go to a college. Yeah, they do. They have to do a weekly visit to ensure that this is happening. Right, right. <laughs> so, <laughs> just the worst <laughs> rules. Like, don't. So, anyway, okay, going on. This is some kind of trick. So, she then goes in the basement and they're wandering around trying to find what <laughs> Uncle Simon was talking <laughs> this about. That is so great. And they open a little door. And it is the most body-looking robot imaginable. This, this is, is the, this is what Horace Ford was designing. <laughs> Absolutely, this is like two hundred proof robot, like the absolute zero of robot designs for the Twilight Zone. This is like the ideal of a robot. <laughs> <laughs> and he so, has like the little robot, like the weird constantly moving the arms with oh, the pincher man. gloves. Oh man, the yeah, weird lights, dumb lights. And he says, "I am a mechanical man." That's like his first "Hello World" statement. Well, hang on, where is it? He says, "Uh, he says, your opening the door has activated me." <laughs> Be patient with me, Barbara. 
Barbara. So he, makes, he makes it clear that he's a learning computer to some extent, that he's going to be coming more and more online over time. Mm-hmm. Um, he basically stumbles around for a while saying, Barbara. Hello, Barbara. <laughs> Hello, Barbara. Uh, and then at a certain point, the robot goes, this is interesting. Very interesting. <laughs> it is coming through now. A craving for hot chocolate. <laughs> and so Barbara's more horrified that she has to start serving this robot hot chocolate. I don't know what he's going to do with the hot chocolate. He's like pour it on his big robot head dome. Probably just pull out uh, Barbara's trousers and just pour it on there. <laughs> just more torture. And so <laughs> the course of the episode, he the robot then kind of starts to act more and more like Uncle Simon. He like wants a, his laboratory door locked. Right, right. He eventually starts to walk with a cane and he eventually even gets Uncle Simon's voice. But like, no, because he pushes the robot over. She pushes the robot over. Right. So then it starts walking with the robot cane. There we go. So it's just screaming Uncle Simon. But don't you think the lawyer would be sympathetic in this situation? And he'd be like, look, I, none of us could have known that he was building a robot that was exactly like himself. Like, you can't stay locked in this house for the rest of your life. Because of a robot. Yeah, just it's fine. Just let it die. Like, it's fine. We'll just Uncle give Simon you the money. doesn't know. He's so dead. Maybe this guy's, like, kid went to the college that the money would have gone for. To get an inheritance, you have to jump through all these hoops. Right. The person's dead. At that point, can the executor of the will just say, okay, here's the deal. Right. You don't have to uh, <laughs> keep track of all these cats. We can just put them to sleep. Right. I would imagine. I would hope to God that they can bend the rules. In this that is way. unreasonable. <laughs> Robots with canes. This Come is on. unreasonable. And again, like this is part of the episode too, where it's like, is this supposed to be funny? It, like she's supposed to be portrayed as like this tortured soul, yeah. but in the most wacky fucking instance. That like yeah. if this episode had a different director, the tone could have varied so wildly from this script. Like it could be anything. Yeah, and, and at the end, he actually has Uncle Simon's voice. Right. That's like the really horrifying part. Right, right. And that's why she I think that's why she pushes him over because he's using that voice asking for the hot chocolate. Right, right, right. And uh then, so I guess she's imprisoned forever. Yeah, and he's got like a rope he had like a little splint on his leg. <laughs> his stupid robot leg. The whole this, time I was watching this episode, I was like, I would love this suit. Uh-huh. And I would go to Comic Con wearing that screaming for somebody named Barbara. People would say, Oh, you're the guy from the mm. That one space movie. And I'd be like, nope, Twilight Zone. You could find a Batgirl. Barbara Gordon. There you go. There you go. Um, so this is this is close to like a Franklin-esque episode where it's just so stupid. And that robot is so beautifully, stupidly oh designed. Uh, but I'm giving it a six. I give this one a seven. I think okay. it's like I'm with you. I had a hard time kind of figuring out what they were going for with the, <laughs> with the tone. Yeah. And if this was supposed to be uh, like horrible right. or just completely awesome. <laughs> and I'm going to pretend that it was just completely awesome. Okay. All right. Uncle Simon. Cool old Uncle Simon. So. This one. Okay. This one is Probe. Probe 7. All right. So this episode is Probe 7, Over and Out. Creative name. Woof. So we start off. Guy is in a spaceship, his arm is in a sling, and he's frantically calling, Probe 7 to base, Probe 7 to base. He needs help because Probe 7 has crash-landed, and as we learn, there's no chance that this thing can be repaired. I mean, this is totally crashed, like wires are everywhere. Really? I don't know how a crash can move those wires so much, but they are dangling all over the place. Yeah, it is. I didn't get a good look at the chair, actually, now that I think about this. Oh, I'm sorry. 
I know I we can stop the podcast. We can okay. go check out the chair. <laughs> we'll go check out the chair. Anyway, um, batteries dying in this ship. Yeah, home base is offering zero help. They're like, uh, we can transmit uh, repair instructions, and then at that moment is low on cue. The panel like starts sparking, and it's clear like there's no way you can repair this thing. It's he is sol as they say. Yeah. Is. So he's like. Um, goes outside with his flashlight to kind of investigate to see what's going on. Right. And he's yelling, anybody out there? Anyone out there? And goes back in, and then we get a shot of the trees rustling. Yeah. Like straight up Jurassic Park style, which I'm sure you were very excited about. I was excited. I like trees rustling. (laughs) So uh, he asks for help and uh, says, you learn that he's got two broken bones. He's got seven days worth of food. And... uh, yeah, calls back, gets a call from home base, and there's nothing to report except for there's a war brewing back home. And, and the East Coast has been wiped out, they explain. The Eastern Seaboard, I Eastern think, Seaboard, is, yeah. is the way they pitch it. Yeah, Things are not looking good. So he goes out of the ship again, and he sees a symbol in the dirt. But hang on, as this. So he leaves, right? Yep. Uh, but the broadcast is continuing, mm-hmm. and then it has a sterling speech where the broadcaster from back home is like, Whoever you meet there, and you surely you can meet somebody. I hope you find a world without fear. I hope you'll find no words such as hate going on as his world's getting destroyed. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Don't be like us. <laughs> then he's like, ah, I got company. So he's he's yelling, <laughs> come on out, come on out. And then immediately a rock to the head knocks him down. Yeah, yeah. he's like, let's shake hands. Let's be friends. Yeah. <laughs> um, then comes to during the daylight and goes back inside the ship and sees that the hatch is closed. Someone is inside the ship. It slams shut. Yeah. yeah. So someone's sitting in there. So he... Uh, he goes and sits outside. And yeah, he's like, come I don't want to scare you. Come, come on out. Um, he, there's a big assumption here that whatever is on this planet is one, friendly, and two, humanoid. And and super clumsy. <laughs> yeah. So he just goes and sits outside and he's like, all right, I'm just going to wait for you to come out. And he's, so he like, he's primed so he can get a good look at this thing whenever it leaves. Mm-hmm. And he hopes he can understand English. He can at least understand the tone of his voice. He yeah, thinks. exactly. Yeah. So the thing runs out and he follows it and it's a lady. And not only that, it's a pretty lady. Of course. Yeah. And all the parts where they belong, which is good for him, I suppose. <laughs> Um, and then he assumes that they're just going to be best buds. Yeah, like he goes from saying they're to like, totally cool. Well, we'll have to go get food together. He just assumes that she's completely alone and that she's starving, that she needs him. Yeah, and he makes this uh, makes introductions and he starts drawing circles and lines and talks about orbits and he's making a lot of conclusions, like the fact that she draws some circles and then oh, you were on a ship and you crash landed too. Right, he, she draws one orbit. circle and he's like, oh, that's your galaxy. I see how it is. <laughs> like, wait, what? <laughs> so. Uh, then we learn he has a broken rib. Uh-huh. And at this time, I'm going to put a little asterisk. Okay, we'll get back to that. Broken rib. And then he offers f- food and companionship. And sure. then he picks up a stick and she just freaks out and runs and uh-huh. scratches his face right before she leaves. And then um, he talks about how man is a very frightened man. Mm-hmm. And it's the case wherever there is life. Again, always with the assumption that, like, oh, life just means humans and other planets. Super hot humans. Yeah, super hot. (laughs) So she comes out, and they start heading towards some fruit trees, and they're coming out with – they're like, well, we got to figure out what we're going to do here. So she grabs a handful of dirt, Uh and she says, Earth – and then we learn his name is Adam, and she is Eve. Her full name is, like, Norta Eve. (laughs) They never used the, the last name. In the, the book that I'm familiar with. 
Oh, the so good book. if you are interested in this story, there's like yeah. a whole book. It's not much of one. <laughs> full of stuff like this. It's a pretty short segment on this whole part. But, it, but there's other stuff in there too. So I guess you, you mentioned that asterisk. I didn't think about that, the broken rib thing. Oh, yeah. As soon as they said the broken rib, I'm like, oh, God, this is good. Did you be... know what was happening? Oh, yeah. As well, soon I knew as like the... he was like removed a rib or whatever, but I know as that. As soon as that, yeah. yeah. Really? You saw the whole Adam and Eve thing coming? Yeah. That's pretty good. You Did you notice that how ambiguous I... they were in the original broadcast type of thing? Where they're like, oh, no. boy, somebody's attacked us. A war has break, broken out. No. It, you think about that. That's kind of uh, blasphemous, too. When you think about it, because like this is if we're doing like this is like a new take on a creation myth. This right. is like putting the whole space spin on it. You're just like removing God from it entirely. It's pretty bold. Pretty bold. Have I ever told you my favorite part about the Bible? And there's so many. What is it? Let's hear it. <laughs> Speaking of blasphemy, so uh, I uh, I used to teach confirmation classes, mm-hmm. even though I didn't, I wasn't confirmed or baptized or anything. Somehow I ended up teaching confirmation classes. Okay, it's really bizarre. It's a long story, I think. But anyways. I was leafing through Genesis, and I saw this part, and I said, this is very funny. Surely this can't be King James Version of the Bible. And I looked it up, and it's totally in the King James Version, too. But there's a part, like, after they eat the forbidden fruit. Which is shown in this episode, so we're not totally off track. No, no, exactly. Uh, after they eat the forbidden fruit, uh, God comes down to the Garden of Eden, and then Adam and Eve hide in the bushes so that God can't find them. And then it says that God walks through the garden and then says... Where are you? <laughs> so he's just uh, totally confused? Yeah, he just, he just couldn't find these guys because they're hiding in the bushes even though he created weird. the universe. I found it funny. And then later on, bushes talk. Oh, yeah, that's, that's a weird thing. deal. I don't know. Well, we're saving it for our next podcast where we run through the entirety <laughs> the of the Bible. All my comments are just going to be like, that was a weird deal. What's the deal with Leviticus? That's strange. Leviticus is the season four of the Bible. Yeah, <laughs> I was waiting for like a snake or some like alien creature yeah. on this. Because like you can really just keep going. Just recast the entire Bible mm-hmm. as a weird alien planet. It'd be so much fun. Like they like blast the Red Sea with a laser beam. That'd be cool, yeah. It. Noah's Ark is just a spaceship. It totally works. Mm-hmm. Just where making... is the Twilight Zone? Where are they going to get a spaceship? <laughs> that kind of budget? Uh, so this was, this was an episode... Indeed. It really was. There is not a lot of meat on those bones, on that no. rib cage. Uh, I gave this one a five. So did I. Okay. Over and out. Over and out, <laughs> indeed. All right. So this this is where things get tricky, Cork. Okay. Well, let's let's get behind the scenes here, dude. Oh no. So Pulling this next episode, it depends on where you watched it, because I watch all of them on Hulu, and it turns out that those are, I think, at least in the correct order mm-hmm. as of their airing. Mm-hmm. You're watching on Netflix, mm-hmm. and it had another episode here. Yes. You're not in a courtroom. What was the name of that I'm episode? I'm not in a courtroom. I've, I've, uh, I don't want to answer that question. <laughs> no, the episode that, that, and I was, Frank, to be honest, I just did the let it roll kind of thing. Yeah. And it would be weird if it messed up the order. I don't understand why it would do that. But the, the episode that it did next was uh, Night Call. Which isn't coming up till later. Exactly. And so this one, according so to So I actual, had to like cram and watch this one right before we recorded. So you're so going to be super, super fresh. fresh. Are you sure you don't want to take the next one, which should be the seventh is made up of phantoms? Well, it's funny. I In my rush to um, catch up, yeah. I wrote down originally, uh, the seventh is made up of fountains. <laughs> so like, I was about halfway through this episode, and then I yeah. looked it up on my phone, because I'm like, this title makes zero sense. <laughs> I guess the following episode has fountain in the oh, title. Oh, I see. In, okay. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, this is, it's a weird name, but I do think I like this name. It's up there. 
in terms of like, I want to know what this is actually about. The seventh is made up of phantoms. I felt the same way with Uncle Simon. <laughs> Who is Uncle? If he's an uncle, that means he must have a nephew or a niece. Mm -hmm. Who was that person? What are they like? Tell me more. Tell me more. <laughs> All right. So anyways, uh, seventh <laughs> is made up of phantoms, right? Yeah. Uh, opens up. And since this is super fresh for you, I'm really curious if you have more insight into this. But it opens up on a couple of cowboys uh, mm -hmm. from the 7th Cavalry. That's mm -hmm. what it's referring to in the title. Yes. And they make some mention of like, oh, General Custer over there. Colonel Custer? General Custer? We'll say General. All right, General Custer. Um, and so they're just having a little cowboy banter. Uh, and then it cuts to a tank. There's like a good... So this is fresh on my mind. So yeah. what happens actually is you're you're basically right, except for uh, one of the guys on the horse. I think it's Jason Lee. Okay, traveling through time. Sure. Um, yeah, they, they're scouting out this. Uh, there's a TP. Right. Um, and then a guy gets on a horse and is knocked off the horse by an arrow. An arrow shoots him in the back. Oh, is that right? Okay. And it's like comically long arrow. And then you see a tank. Yeah. Then they fire, don't they? And then yeah. Then you. Then it cuts to the tank. You hear gunshots, and then you see guys on a tank. Yeah. So this yeah. has the same effect that Rance McGrew had mm -hmm. back in the day, where you think you're in the Wild West, and yes. then all of a sudden there's some modern-day tech there, and it's like, oh, this is going to be fun. Yes. Because immediately it's like, oh, are they going to have this war between cowboys and modern-day tanks? This is going to be a great episode. Mm -hmm. That is not the case. No, <laughs> this is not the case. So, so lower your expectations immediately. Exactly. And so uh, they start talking about... Like how this tank is basically, it's do, doing war games. And yeah, they're like National Guard guys. Right, right. So there's they're just exploring. And so, yeah, there's three guys. Um, and what's the first? They run across a teepee? Yep, they see the teepee. Um, and then one of the guys just is conveniently a bit of a history buff. And he's got a friend who's also a history buff. This so is, they can talk back and forth. Yeah, so throughout the course of the episode, which is a phrase I realize I've said a lot on this podcast, um, they... <laughs> slowly become convinced that they are in the past and that Custer's last stand is about to happen. And it is weird that there's two guys that are Custer's last stand experts. So like, oh, oh I yeah. read every book on the subject. I know everything about this. And then the one lone guy is like, you guys are nuts. Let's go back to base camp. Our freaking general's waiting for <laughs> exactly. us. This is stupid. Yeah. But I, it's so it'd be so easy to just have the one guy, which is the normal... Twilight Zone mm -hmm. thing where the one guy really stands out and he's the force. He's but like, here, the yeah. one guy is the same guy. Exactly. And these two guys are just nut jobs, but they can overpower. And so they just go on this scavenger hunt, uh, finding more and more teepees and becoming more and more convinced that they're in the last stand. And like their general tells, tells them to go down a certain river and they don't want to go down that river. Like, follow yep. the path of the mm -hmm. river because that's where Custer went and Custer died from all the Indians and they're scared that they're going to die from Indians. Yeah. And you hear, like, like their presence is shown kind of like you, the wind will come and you'll hear, oh yeah, like, uh, war cries. And at one point, um, the wind is coming in and they they see uh, smoke on a hill. Yeah. And then to hear, like, these chants and drums and stuff. And the one guy just shoots wildly. This is cool. Nothing. Yeah. So it's like, well, it's like over the hill, there's, like, a lot of dust rising. Mm -hmm. and it sounds like this whole... Like a war Tr party. Yeah, a war party of Indians are coming their way. And so one guy just panics and he shoots. Mm -hmm. uh, and then only one lone horse comes over the hill. This is the coolest part of the episode, yeah, I think. For just sure. one horse. And they like say that it looks like you know a, a bridle of a Native American thing or something. Mm -hmm. And nobody's on it. So they yeah. mentioned the possibility of maybe he shot uh, 
an Indian off the horse's yeah. back, but they never go check for a body. Yeah. No questions asked. No, I think one of the interesting things about this episode too, though, is when they do, they had their first little, they find a canteen. And right. They're like they're immediately convinced. Oh my God, this is amazing. They go back to their base camp and the guy who's in charge, Captain Dennett uh-huh. is just immediately like, look, you guys are going to have to go to Rosebud Creek. Right. That's the and then they're like, Oh, it's the same path as Custer. We heard war cries. And he's like, you know, if you, as they're leaving, he's like, if you meet any Indians, will you take it slow? Because they're all college graduates and they're probably doing tests on soil. It's nice. So it's just immediately like, you idiots, <laughs> you know. Also, weird note here, um, when they're talking about breaking down the history, because these guys know Custer's last stand so well, they talk about like how there's three different generals and they all went different ways or whatever. And they talk about how General ben- Benteen went along the south. Ben Teen was the name of the guy on Thursday we leave for home. Hmm. And so I wonder, I mean, Sterling also wrote this episode, so he must have just always been a Custer's Last Stand history buff. Yeah. And then he decided to pull that name for Thursday we leave for home and then recycle it here. Yeah. Uh, anyways, yeah. So um, it continues. They really jump to the time travel possibility pretty quickly. Yeah. They don't even consider that like maybe it's a historical reenactment that's why there's four teepees out here it's no big deal i understand there's wind on the on your back but yeah they're like oh there's a village that's the thing they, they the scouts found a village and right. they they cross the go over this hill and there's like yeah there's like five teepees like, oh there's the village and so the one guy goes down there mm-hmm. uh comes back and then explains to the guys i just seen the granddaddy of all <laughs> mirages and it's sticking out of my back and he falls down and it's another like Super long arrow. There's an arrow in his back. Uh, so they don't go back to base camp even when this guy has an arrow in his back because they have to go on their quest to do something. And so they continue on uh, and then they come up over a hill and they hear like a battle below and they don't ever show it. Maybe they're trying to be mysterious or more than likely they're just trying to make the episode on a budget. Yeah. Um, and then the three of them just go... Let's do it! And then, like, <laughs> softly walk into the camera. Yeah. And uh, then their commanding officers are looking for them later. Yeah, and we do. Like, earlier they said that they're they're heading toward it to stop or join the massacre. Stop or join. Hard. Okay. Right. So, okay. So, so the guys are just walking around the cemetery. Yeah, it's like looking, the because they're the looking custom. for them, and they somehow stumble across the they memorial. The, yeah, they found the tank. Right. And believe it or not, uh, the names of these three guys... <gasps> are on the memorial, and they died during Custer's last stand. And Captain Dennett says, too bad they couldn't have brought the... The guys couldn't have brought the tank. It would have helped. And then his uh, like subordinate goes, what? What did you just say? And he's like, ah, nothing. Okay, this is... <laughs> <laughs> this is that part... This is the part that really threw me for a loop. Because like this entire episode, I'm just searching for a meaning. Like, what? They're not crazy. Mm-hmm. They jump to the time travel thing pretty quickly, but they just want to do something. They just want to uncover this mystery to the point that they're just going to ignore their commanding officers. They get shot in the back. They still want to keep going. And then the officer at the end reveals, yeah, like, oh, boy, you should have brought the tank. Yeah. Is that just like a one-off joke, or is he I aware? I think it was a joke. I think it was supposed to be like a kind of a moment of poignancy, like maybe it would have made a difference if these Guys, when they travel back through time, had an army tank. <laughs> Wait, I still let's really talk about. I'm this. really trying. I'm really talking to you. This is supposed to be. I think he was and like. Were they trying to make it poignant? Like it was written in a way to try and make it poignant, or the character was trying to make it poignant to be like, 
boy, these tanks are really great for our army. I think that it was kind of like, like they could have gave him hell if they'd had the tank. <laughs> Which they could have brought, but they just abandoned. Yeah. For some reason. Then it would have cut back to them and, and would that have affected the past? The And then... I don't know. What kind of know. effect would that have I'd, had? Would they have been wearing like space helmets when we went <laughs> back to them? Or? I just couldn't tell if he was trying to insinuate that like he knew about the mysterious valley where Custer yeah. died and he knew that like it was a possibility that they could have helped or did he just wrap his mind so quickly around the idea of their names being on that monument that he just thought, oh, of course they fought in this battle. Those well, men maybe I just was, saw this morning. Maybe these guys as... Members of the National Guard had some kind of professional obligation to help American soldiers at, before they were going to get slaughtered, like even though history showed that that was a terrible idea. <laughs> well, either case, uh, Rod Serling informed us to file this one under P for Phantom. Yeah, <laughs> P for Phantom. P for POS is what I say. P-U. Uh, so, I give this one a four. Yep. <laughs> uh, I, and the only reason I got a four, which is relatively high, is because I was so teased at the outset that there's going to be a cool battle between mm-hmm. the tank and the old-timey. And I thought the scenery was nice. I don't mind looking at beautiful hills. Good old black and white shots of sagebrush. Exactly. What is it? Montana? Where was Custer's last stand? I'm not an expert on these <laughs> things. I'm, I, I didn't ride with these guys and I wasn't in the National Guard. Okay. Well, there we go. Uh, those are five episodes. Yeah. What'd you think? I thought we got off to a super rough start and I think that's my fault. Yeah. For for the for the doll episode, you didn't like Living Doll. I liked the episode. I just, I just felt like I was rusty trying to explain what happened, and it made me really regret doing the long form again. Really, which, I took really good notes. So I know, like but then superstar. we're so glued to the notes, and we're leafing through pages, and I really get to look in your beautiful weird square eyes. <laughs> <laughs> How did you yeah. feel like it went? I liked it. I think it was good. Okay. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, thank you for listening to the Twilight Highlight Zone. Thank you. Uh, Tune in next week for the third episode as we uh, keep moving along. We'll do it. All right. Twilight Highlight Highlight Zone. Twilight Zone. Whispers die to Doll and Vice. I thought you said you had feelings. I can stand it if you can. Sawblade can't cut through neck. Love how aggressive the doll is. No bittering around the bush. No, I know he loves how aggressive the doll is. Come on. He wrote bittering. No bittering around the bush. (laughs) Bittering is one of the characters. I'll have you The tomatoes the old man said not to plant looked like rotten watermelons. Still new music. This actor again. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's us! It's all up! <laughs> <laughs>